Welcome to Great Takes, Less Filling, the less excited version by The Daily Gopher. Uh, I am Chris Goeyufer, and joining me today to hot take this extremely disappointing Maryland game is U Street. Hey, y'all. So, that happened. Um, definitely not what I came in confidently predicting, expecting, hoping for. Uh, I think... This is a good lesson for me to remind myself that I got really optimistic after the first three games, did my happy Homer thing, and completely forgot that this is still year one under Fleck. And I think this showed very much a lot of the the year one opportunities for trouble that I was worried about coming into the season. What were your thoughts here, uh, Alex, about today's game? First things first, I'm going to turn it over to Denny Green. You know, I mean, we, we just, uh, we, we, what we thought they were. My other quick thoughts on this game, it was incredibly frustrating to see the Minnesota defense make a third-string quarterback with one week of game prep look competent. That applied throughout. I thought defensively, unquestionably, obviously, this is the worst defensive effort of the year, but it was how the defense played. That was a bummer, and man, our offensive line and our running game needs a ton of work, and that is probably not going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I... Big sigh. Um, This was really a perfect storm of a game in many ways, and I think it highlighted some of the reasons I was less confident than many coming into this season. If you'll recall, I was thinking kind of a 6-6 six and six season was my prediction. And I think it comes down to a couple things. I mean, we've, we know we have depth issues in certain areas, and today was an example of one of those games where those depth issues got exploited and made worse. Uh, defensive secondary was made worse today by the injury to uh, Antoine Winfield. Um, Duke McGee was out reportedly not injury-related, uh, and that's something that I told folks, don't be surprised if Flex sits a starter because the starter isn't, you know, getting with the program. That, that you know, played a role, had an impact here. Uh, uncertainty at the quarterback position. Connor Rota was not great. He was not elite. Um, I don't want to belabor it. I mean, it is what it was. We all saw it. And, you know, struggles along the line. Offensive line was a question. And and today, like many of the games, they did nothing for us in the run game, really, in general. So, yeah, I'm going to have to do some soul-searching for myself in terms of just getting myself back into the mindset of this, you know, could be a longer season than I'd got myself excited for after three games. Um, And that's not a, you know, that's not a bad thing. I mean, mean, it is a bad thing. It's going to be annoying if that's what happens. But, I mean, at the same time, I there was a reason I was mentally okay with that coming into the season, and I just need to get myself back to that place. Um, Alex, as rough a game as this was, who was your necktie of the game? My necktie of the game was Eric Carter, mostly for that phenomenal catch at the end of the game to set up what is the tying score, though, unfortunately... Uh, that is where the game finished for the Gophers offense. I thought Carter also continues to be undervalued in terms of his blocking. He's good at doing that. He does a lot of the little things that you don't see. And in this game, he made a catch that was fantastic, that should absolutely be on a lot of highlight reels. It was a beautiful catch on a throw that was not great. 
and it was not great because it was just a little long and the trajectory was too low. So going flat out to make that catch, to me, that is the Necton of the week. I struggled. I was just going to end up being forced to uh, echo you on this. And then I remembered that Jonathan Salston did his thing and had a bunch of tackles. I don't remember how many tackles uh, because I, I didn't go bother to look at the end of this. I just know that you know after the first half, he already had like nine, seven solo, something like that. So uh, I'm going to comfortably say he finished with more than that. And he is my Necton of the week. Hooray. So much to talk about here. Um, I, I think we'll definitely get to use the nuclear hot take presented by Fallout 4 sound that I brought out for the podcast this week uh, When after something you say or something I say. Or heck, maybe we'll just finish this entire uh, Great Takes Less Filling with nothing but the sound of that mini nuke launcher from Fallout 4. Um, but rather than totally sell out defensive miscues, let's talk about them. When you and I were talking before we started recording, you know, I, I suggested maybe we break down what, what didn't work uh, from a schematic perspective for the Minnesota defense. And your response, I think, was probably, well, we really didn't struggle that way. We just didn't do anything right that's normal, that we could, didn't need a play call. We needed to make a stop, and we didn't do it. So you want to talk about what you saw from a, a miscue perspective for the defense? Structurally, the main problem is that, as I said before, Rob Smith decided to make a third-string quarterback comfortable. I think the defense may have blitzed three times, and that may be an overestimate. Mostly they were rushing with four. That wasn't working. Bordenschlager had tons of time in the pocket. And when you have a secondary that is already down several people quarterback gets to be comfortable, someone's going to get open. Maryland does have a lot of playmakers. I can recognize that, oh, you brought, Winfield got injured, so you've lost your, one of your best blitzers. You've also lost the guy who's setting everyone up and getting in checks. You have McGee out, so you're down your two safeties. You're bringing in backups. You want to keep things a little more base, a little more vanilla, and sure, that's fine, except the person who is on the other side of the field is making his first start and was never expected to see the field unless it was super garbage time this year. To me, that's inexcusable. You need to blitz that guy. You need to make him uncomfortable. The Gophers chose not to do that, and they chose not to do it on obvious passing downs. Maryland went 9 of 16 on third down, and while they were dramatically less good on third down when it was third and long, that's the time where you attack, you pin your ears back, and you go for it. The Gophers didn't do that. Structurally, that was a huge problem. You know, and that was that was the interesting thing for me looking at Maryland coming into the week, kind of doing the slightly dangerous week five look at the S and P plus numbers, since you know there's still some preseason baked into that. Um, but they basically, as a general rule, Maryland did not execute efficiently. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the numbers, when it was time to run the ball. They didn't run the ball successfully for the most part. When it was time to pass the ball on the passing down, they didn't pass the ball successfully for the most part. They were succeeding because of big plays. And for the most part, Minnesota limited big plays today. But you're right. When we got into those scenarios where it's a passing down, that should be a situation where a defense like Minnesota's, which had been structurally pretty sound at keeping teams from executing in those scenarios, we shouldn't be giving up that many first downs to a third-string quarterback, blitz or no blitz. 
Um, sh- honestly, short short-handed or not short-handed, I, I think you, sh- you could make the case that we shouldn't have been that bad against it. Um, missed tackles. We had a ton of missed tackles. We didn't tackle well. Um, you mentioned angles before the 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 broadcast taking bad angles. Uh, I mean, what else? What, what were the other things that you saw that we were just not doing right? Well, first, and this is definitely not to pick on Jacob Huff, but he needs to catch that interception. I don't believe in momentum in the same way I agree with Fleck, but I do believe that you can take seven points off the board if that's an interception. This is a tie ball game. There's a reasonably good chance that Huff would have returned that a fair way if you given the Gophers a short field. So spot them that they probably would have gotten the three points that Emma Carpenter missed on a field goal back. There's your game. And that's one play, and I don't actually think that you should think that generally. More so, those were the problems. It was execution, and it was execution on things that they have not previously had problems executing. The missed tackles were bad missed tackles. They were just fundamentally unsound. People thinking this is where my leverage was coming when it actually wasn't, which indicates they weren't lined up, set, correct before the play. Probably when that occurred for defensive backs because they had new safeties in and people were having trouble getting on the same page. But the linebackers and the front four missing stuff, that's just inexcusable. None of those players were injured. They were all there. And they've been playing very well for the rest of the season. The linebackers in particular have been a strength of this team. And today, outside of Jonathan Celestine, they were somewhat of a weakness. And that's really unfortunate. Part of the reason why Maryland was getting these big runs was not because the running back was getting these wide open holes, except for a few times where, you know, maybe they were assisted a little bit by some jersey grabbing. But I'm sure Minnesota (laughs) would have loved to have an assistance in that way. We can get there in a second, but I wish our offensive line could even hold someone in a way to open a hole. But when they're, when the running back found a hole, he wasn't meeting anyone. People were missing their gaps. They weren't playing their assignment. And I don't know specifically what was being called. I'm not going to claim to be that kind of football expert. But I am going to claim that it probably is not what you're intending to do on defense if nobody touches the running back for five yards. And then the first person to touch the running back takes such a bad angle that he scoots past or bounces off. You knew the guy was going to be slippery, and you played that poorly. That's the really unfortunate thing. And I thought they had buckled down, certainly at the beginning of the second half. It seemed like they came in, they made adjustments, they had calmed down, and they just started doing it again in the fourth quarter. Yeah. This game, man. I don't really have anything else to talk about the defense, but but that. Um, yeah, the, you alluded to a couple things we'll jump right to first. Uh for those who are annoyed with the lack of holding calls, we too at the Daily Gopher were annoyed at the lack of holding calls. Uh, both Street and I will readily admit that we didn't watch that carefully on Minnesota's offensive line because we're too busy cursing uh, to see how much they may have been missing holding calls on Minnesota. But yeah, there were some blatant misses by the Big Ten referees. Not uh, not midseason form unless you're looking for midseason form of terrible when it came to holding calls uh, from the Big Ten refs, but you know, ultimately that's not the issue here. It's just one more frustration on top of so many other frustrations. Uh, offensively, yeah, offensive play by the offensive line would certainly stand out as something to talk about. Uh, Street, why don't you just drop that yards per carry stat you had for me uh, before we started? That just made me gag. 
The Gophers ran the ball 31 times and averaged 2.7 yards a carry. And if I take away the negative five-yard loss, or the five-yard loss because Rhoda tried to pull the ball out when he shouldn't have had and he had a little bit of a fumble, they still don't even come close to cracking three. This is a team with two potential all-Big Ten running backs, and they average 2.7 yards a carry. And they average 2.7 yards a carry because the offensive line has just decided to refuse to run by. This is the reason, incidentally, why I think that our offensive line didn't really hold anybody. Because if they had hold, held somebody, <laughs> there would have been a slightly bigger hole. So in that way, they were playing assignment football. And what's beyond confusing about this is the offensive line was doing great on pass blocking. I mean, Maryland brought blitzes later in the game that forced Rotor to scramble a little bit. But for the most part, Rhoda had a ton of time to make throws. The same is apparently not true for run blocking. They got no push. They frequently got collapsed. There was one play where I think two offensive linemen got pushed off their line by the defense, fell over, and then other offensive linemen pushed into them. We did a better job blocking our own team. There is also a problem here which is it's clear that the Gophers want to establish a running game. And they should. you got Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks in the backfield. Absolutely, you should do that. And I think it was probably a good decision to move to Brooks later in the game because he's a bit more of a power back and falls forward. And Smith is a very good back, but he does at least require his offensive line to open some hole for him. And then he can use his vision and make things out of nothing. But as long as they keep getting hit either at the point, right at the line of scrimmage, a yard behind the line of scrimmage, the Govers will not be successful. And until Connor Rhoda pulled the ball out once, and only once for six yards, it seems as if they've gone completely away from the read option. So that's just an inside zone. But there's no tag on it. There's no pass option to make the linebacker worry. Maryland keyed on that, and that furthered the problem with running the ball which is an offensive structural problem, but is also fundamentally an execution problem because you can run an inside zone, and if you've got a good offensive line, you look like Wisconsin. It doesn't matter that everyone knows you're going to run the ball. You're still going to average five yards a carry. Ugh, it was beyond, beyond frustrating this game. We saw it in the preseason, the functional preseason, right, non-conference. We saw it during non-conference that this line was having struggles blocking teams that were definitely not Big Ten quality. Well, we finally met a Big Ten quality defense led by a coach who's very good at calling defensive plays, and this is what it looks like, and it looks real ugly. Do you, at this point, do you think the lack of the quarterback you know, keep – is, are the coaches are the coaches designing that, or are they telling Rhoda not to do that, or is he just fundamentally not good at picking the spot? I will agree that they're with Derek Burns, who pointed out that they're probably not actually doing a read option anymore. The mechanism by which Rhoda is constantly missing a read is so blatant that if it was in fact him just missing a read at this point. I don't understand that conceptually. Rhoda's a smart guy. He's clearly not missing that read on a regular basis. So if he's just giving it all the time, it's a designed inside zone run. Do you think, I mean, that's just a frustrating thought that we can try to expand. Maybe we can try to expand on a different point, I guess. 
the thing for me is what would you do then if you're not gonna if you don't want the quarterback running the ball frequently if at all uh, in those scenarios should they be is it I mean is that where they should be having the, ta- the pass tag and they're just not able to execute that right now or what, what's your what's your best your best guess yes yes they should have the pass tag they should absolutely have another option Rhoda has a cannon for an arm and we saw especially on the touchdown to Lingen that he has the ability to throw a ball through a very tight window. He made some poor decisions. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second here. But fundamentally, if he sets his feet and leans into a throw, he can really whip it. To some of the detriment later in this game. But that does mean that you absolutely can throw a tag on and have him just get the ball out really quickly and fast. And that at least makes somebody think about something. And it frees up something for our offensive line that is so beleaguered that I'm reasonably certain it couldn't push most of the 1967 defensive line off the line today. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's your take. Your nuclear hot take of the day from U Street, presented by Fallout 4. All right, well, let's just... Let's talk. Let's talk about other parts of the offense, decision making um, and execution. Obviously, still lacking in some regards. That interception in the red zone. I'm sure many people will will get on Tyler Johnson for for not catching the ball because he did have a chance to put both hands on it. But ultimately, to me, that looked like a pass that was just completely misthrown. Yes, a hundred percent a mis misthrow, and it's a misthrow because it's on a slant. It's behind him and high. Now, should Tyler Johnson catch the ball in some sense? Yeah. It hit his hands. He's a Big Ten receiver. He's also good. He definitely should catch that ball. But there's a massive gulf between, yeah, he should have caught that ball, and it was actually his fault. And I would imagine that Connor Rhoda would be the first to tell you that. He didn't put the ball in the right position. there. What were your thoughts on the decision-making generally by Rhoda and the offense? Well, not to dig up ghosts of recently departed quarterbacks, but I believe last year this would have been referred to as a bad Mitch game. And we saw it in multiple facets. We first saw it in the quarterback was not throwing the correct kind of pass. He didn't have the right angle on it. He put it in the wrong spot. He either threw it too hard or too soft. So that was the first problem. Secondly, he missed wide open receivers. Even though he had lots of time to throw, someone was getting open and whatever his progression was at the time, he didn't get the right picture in his head. Third, he wasn't bailed out several times by his own receivers. So both Philip Howard and Tyler Johnson dropped balls that they absolutely should have caught. We'll ignore the slant one later in the game on that out route where Johnson does have to make an adjustment to go get it. They had both hands on the ball, and he just dropped it. That kind of decision-making and execution, the decision-making of not reading your picture and getting the ball out when you need to, and then the execution of that, throwing a pass that is not a perfect pass, and then from the receiver perspective, the inability to bail out your quarterback. And what was beyond frustrating about that as a narrative of the game is Connor Rhoda had some phenomenal throws in that game. And the receivers, as we mentioned earlier, Eric Carter, had some incredible catches. 
it's not like they're bad. They're not. And the, you know, he went 13 for 26 for 229, one touchdown, two interceptions. The second interception is terrible. But it's also one of those things that you kind of expect. Everyone's sort of forcing it. You're down. You got less than a minute to go. In the grand scheme of things, it's not all that surprising to me that that's how that game finished for the Gophers offense. But it is worrisome because this now is on film. This is how you attack Connor Rhoda. And Big Ten defenses aren't going to get easier. They're going to take what Maryland did, and they're going to put some wrinkles on it. And unless the offense improves very quickly, and ultimately it's not going to be throwing. I think you mentioned it several podcasts ago, Chris, you and Andy, that Connor Rhoda is a game manager. And today, because the running game was so bad, Minnesota was forced to have Connor Rhoda try and go win a football game. And that's unlikely to be successful for this season. At this point, okay, let's just let's just posit that the, the Gophers we saw today are the Gophers we see the rest of the year. How many wins do you think this kind of Gopher team pulls out? Still think they go bowling. I mean, and I, all we're really frustrated and we're really mad. They should have won the game. <laughs> And they left three points on the field because Carpenter missed a field goal because apparently Carpenter briefly has the yips, which is really unfortunate. They let an interception go through Jacob Huff's hands. Connor Rhoda threw an interception close. So they probably gave up, depending on how you want to look at it, three to 17 points. <laughs> Maryland's last touchdown, or their first touchdown drive, has two big old holding calls which maybe that goes back. Maybe it's a little bit of a different game. The last touchdown they get is just a miscue and a misexecution. I think you should expect that those things do get cleaned up from week to week. I'm not going to be one of those people who thinks this coaching staff is now terrible and all the players are miserable. <laughs> the, reason, the reason why this is a frustrating game is precisely because you know the players on the field are better than they perform. If they were worse than that, if they were horrifically bad or something, then maybe I would go, oh, well, we're really screwed now. But the offense did put up 24 points. The defense gave up too many points. I still see them going bowl. I still see three wins. It just probably changes. Now you, act, you absolutely need to beat Purdue to make that happen. That's my view. Do you, do you agree, disagree? Um, I think you're right. I think I'm not like shutting down my, my feeling that this team can go bowling. I think if this is the kind of team that comes out against Purdue or against some of the other winnable games, we're not going bowling. I think the only team on the schedule, this execution level Minnesota team beats is Illinois because Illinois is really bad. Um, but even then all it takes is Illinois not being as bad that day and suddenly you're in a dogfight. So, you know, if this is if this is somehow a harbinger of what we're going to see, then we're in trouble. I also agree. I don't suddenly think this team is fundamentally terrible. I think that's why we're all so hot, takey, feely, angry, frustrated today is, like you said, this team is better than what they showed. Um, I don't know that they're as good as we might have hoped they could be. Um, and I think that's the big takeaway for me. This was the game that reminded me that I got to keep my head in, yeah, you know what, this is year one, and that's going to mean trouble if we have to 
keep players out because they are doing something wrong off the field. That's going to mean trouble if we have an injury at a key position or multiple key positions. I mean, we had both Antoine Winfield Jr. and Demetrius Douglas out today. And Jared Weiler, that's three That's three key players out in three key area, uh, three key position areas where we don't have a ton of, honestly, a ton of depth. I think we got lulled into it over the first couple of weeks. We, we escaped, um, you know, in some times when maybe we could have been hurt more, more drastically by injuries and we weren't. And it's just time to remember that this can be an up and down season. And that's what I'm going to do for myself is just kind of come in, not let, not let my optimism blind me to the fact that, you know, this is still a year one scenario. And, you know, I think I would encourage, you know, folks listening to do the same. Um, all right, so let's kind of finish out with a new bit that we're going to do here, elite or not elite. We're gonna, I'm going to toss out uh, something, and Alex is going to tell me if he thought it was elite or not elite. I'm just going to say it, Tim Brando. The opposite of elite. Whatever is the complete, absolute reverse negative of elite. Tim Brando is horrible. Ugh, so bad. And so bad in the way that is like, oh, I'm over here and I'm kind of like, I think I'm really good. It's that it's a, it's a guy, it's that guy who you see on the pickup basketball court who has spent like $300 in all of the clothing. He's got like the brand new LeBrons and he can't make a layup. That's Tim Brandon to me. <laughs> Who's the color guy today? Spencer Tillman. Was the color guy. Spencer Tillman at one point, because it's not just Tim Brando that sucked. Spencer Tillman at one point talked about how Coach Fleck has this way of connecting with the Gen X, the Gen Xers. That's what he said. And all I could go was, huh. All right, then. <laughs> like, and, and it's one of those things like, okay, look, I... Andy will tell you, I did color commentary with him uh, in college for a little bit. Color, color commentary, in my opinion, is hard. Like finding the right moments to interject, having your own personality, balancing off the person doing the play-by-play. I sucked at it. I was really, really bad. So I can respect somebody struggling. But if you're going to drop something that stupid... You got to be smart enough to hear yourself say it and then find a way to correct it. Dude just rolled on. So either he didn't know or he didn't think it was worth like picking up that just fumble of a statement. So, all right. So, yes, Fox Sports 1, change your best. Y'all are bringing some non-elite game. Uh, The uniform choice today, white pants, maroon jersey, white helmets. Elite or not elite? Elite? With the caveat that if they want to do this in the future, they should definitely get it to be more throwbacky. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean, I obviously it'll look better if they get a stripe down the pants, but they're probably not going to carry a pair of uniforms with stripes just for one-offy scenarios. So I could be comfortable with not having that if they were to rock the maroon and gold uh, center stripe down the helmet. I think that at least would would bring it up. Or if the white pants had a little bit of maroon and gold, like a block M or something, like, you know, up on the hip. Something just to bring a little more of the school color into the pants would probably be ideal. Elite or not elite, the news I just saw come across the Twitters that Demetrius Douglas is going to be out for a significant amount of time. Even more non-elite than Tim Brando. 
yeah, I, I can't put a positive spin on that. I actually wasn't, I mean, it's just a depth thing. Like it just, it, it's one more thing that lowers our room for error. It's not like Philip Howard didn't play pretty well. I mean, minus, you know, some drops and whatever. I, I was pretty pleased with it. Uh, and Eric Carter, obviously, but you know, we need more options for our offensive playmakers, not fewer. So yeah, not elite. 1967 Minnesota Gophers football team. There's not even a question. We're going to end with them being elite. And it's sad that today's celebration of that team didn't go a little better. Alex, any closing thoughts for us as we finish off this great takes, less filling? I hope the team changes their best. I will say to end as well on an optimistic note, they will be much better against Purdue. Well, that's it for this edition of Great Takes Less Filling. Hopefully this was what you needed on your Saturday evening or Sunday chore run or mowing the lawn or whatever you have going. Go Gophers, Sky Yuma, row the boat. Mm-hmm.